Welcome back, everyone, to the Drink and Learn podcast. I am drinks historian Elizabeth Pierce. And I'm bartender Abigail Gullo, and we're coming to you live, sort of, from the old number 77 (laughs) hotel here in beautiful downtown New Orleans. Well, we're, I mean, we're alive. Okay, so I guess this isn't live because it's recorded. <laughs> My, I guess because this the season, I went straight to like, what are we, zombies? Yeah, I know, we are. Ooh, <laughs> spooky. This is actually, um, if you are not familiar with the weather in New Orleans, every New Orleans bride knows that you get married either in March or October. The weather is perfection today. Right, which is why I got married in July. <laughs> it's also cheaper. <laughs> you are thrifty, my dear. Well, there's thrifty. air. I mean, there's air conditioning. Yeah, there's plenty of air conditioning. It's not like getting it's married in July in the nineteenth century. Everyone, I don't know. I'm not. I don't have a lot of experience with weddings. I've never really even been in love. I don't think because I've never met a man who makes me feel like a Dave Matthews Band song or baseball. Wait, so, are these the requirements? Because these- now I don't know if I married the right person. <laughs> These are my personal requirements. <laughs> well, okay, baseball. I don't want a man who makes me feel like baseball because I don't really think a whole lot about baseball. It's not baseball, like, per se. It's just the way I feel when I watch um, baseball, which okay. is undeniably happy. Oh, well, Lee would not want me to feel for him the way that I feel when I watch baseball, which is <laughs> involves looking at my watch a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all, like, it's all personal. Right. It's all very, very personal. Yes. So I don't have a... But from what I see mm-hmm. from brides... They tend to want to be outside. Yeah. Everything's outside. Yeah. So, um, like they want to flaunt their love to nature. Oh, wow. Well, we, we got married in July because that's a slow time for me. It's cheaper. And so we got married inside because of air conditioning. But the other reason is because Lee told me that he knows what it's like to live with me leading up to Mardi Gras when I am checking the weather every 45 minutes <laughs> and uh, getting very worried about if it's going to rain on Mardi Gras Day, my high holy day. Um, I also work outside for a living, mm-hmm. so I am frequently checking the weather and you know wondering if it's going to rain on my work. So he said... We're not getting married outside. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna live with you checking the weather app. See, and this is why he is your perfect mate, right? Because he knows me so well. He does. He does. That's awesome. Um. So I guess actually, there's no good segue from, uh, from marriage to death. There yes. we go. <laughs> Till death do us part. All right. Uh, and if if we part, then uh, perhaps one of us or both will become a spirit. Uh, Yes, that's right, folks. This is going to be a Halloween episode. (laughs) That's Abigail being spooky. And actually, I got to tell you, if you were sitting here, you would be a little disturbed. (laughs) Oh, and we thought that we would explore um, spirits of all kinds and maybe even how spirits got their name why we call them spirits mm-hmm. uh and why we call why we call liquor spirits why we call ghost spirits and if they're connected in any way and um, the internet has lots of thoughts and so for your edification i've consolidated some of the more probable answers mm-hmm. mm. speaking of ghosts and spirits if you are into that sort of thing, New Orleans is a great town for that. Obviously, we have lots of ghost tours and haunted places. But specifically, the old number 77 hotel has some very specific spirits. And I've had many guests tell me about it. It would totally creep me out if I actually believed in this stuff. What? Like, okay, go ahead and share. <laughs> well, like a uh, child crying and uh, footsteps in the hall. and And there are... The people who work in the hotel tell me that they get the same complaints with the same noises from the same rooms. Mm. So that so, seems highly... So the footsteps in the hall, I totally... I mean, if if I... I don't I don't know what I believe, because I definitely lived in an apartment where some, some wacky shit happened. <laughs> um, and it happened to me and my roommates separately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day we had... We, well, we actually never brought it up with each other. A woman came to our came to our apartment um she was a friend of a friend we were throwing a party and she asked us she said is anything weird happened 
and we both kind of looked at each other and looked at her and we shared some of the things and it was like the TV turning on and off or the doors opening or things kind of moving a little like a little bit to where you'd think like did I move that um and then she said oh that's Paco it's like, oh, how, do, how are you on first name uh, <laughs> terms with this um, uh, spirit? And she said, oh, she knew him. And he hung himself in our living room. Oh, ah. no. um, See, that's what I don't like yeah. about the ghost tours and the ghost stories. It's that it's really just like a map of where all these horrible murders and deaths have taken place. And it's not something that I like to think about when I'm biking by this beautiful mansion on a beautiful day. Well, the child crying was a little puzzling to me because this was a warehouse, right? That's... So it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a. I do I do find that puzzling as people ask what this building was, and it was a coffee warehouse and ship chandlery. So nobody lived here before it became a hotel. So unless it's like recent. Well, I mean, I maybe maybe it was um, a house before. I mean, before, right? Maybe. See, I don't know. All of this requires belief in some sort of spiritual afterlife. Right. Which, I'm sorry. I don't want to. Don't mean to offend anyone. And I respect everyone's beliefs. So I expect that you all will respect mine. I don't believe in that. So what I think is possible is that things that we used to explain, like Zeus with his thunderbolt, that now we understand are actual natural phenomenon that happen in the physical world. Like we can ex- we can scientifically explain them. Yes. Is that I wonder if there are things that occur that one day we will actually be able to electromagnetically, scientifically physically, explain. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. Yeah. That um, I, that makes sense to me. That we do- still have a long way to go in the field of science as far as discovering the strange stuff that happens around us, like mm-hmm. coincidences. and Yeah, because there seem to be an awful lot of people who have had these experiences. Yes. So it makes me wonder if there's something that... Some other dimension. I also, uh, you, I will... You, you used to watch Doctor Who, right? Wasn't that like another dimension? I love Doctor Who. I've never seen Doctor Who, but isn't it... He Doctor gets in a phone booth and he goes... It's a, it's a police box. Okay, it's not sorry. a phone booth. Okay. And, and he travels through both space and time. Right. So maybe that's what's happening. Is some, some other dimensional thing is happening. Well, if that has happened, why hasn't a doctor with a TARDIS who makes me feel like baseball <laughs> and a Dave Matthews song picked me up yet? Because I've been waiting a long time. Uh, well, then maybe you need to go see a voodoo person and, mm. and call that's him a, to me. Right. Okay. So now speaking of, well, here's, we... here's my transition into this. If you okay. want to use this, is that a lot? My theory on the people who see spirits is that maybe they have been imbibing in spirits a bit much and it has dulled their senses. Well, this is a very good segue because that is, um, one of the things that is asserted as a possible connection between spirits and spirits. But I'm going to let's roll back a little bit okay. and to just look at the word spirit, which comes from the Latin, um, which I'm going to pronounce with an Italian accent because I speak Italian and I don't speak Latin, and I figure they're pretty close. So it's um, spirare, which means to breathe or breath. And uh, so that's where the, the origin of this... Um, of, of the word comes from. Um, and little by little, this idea of breathing is connected to life, to the idea of your soul. So um, if you think about when uh, a baby is born, its first breath um, might be perceived as its spirit entering its body. Its life is um, it's it's self is sort of starting. Uh, I'm sure there's like been movies with this, uh, particularly the second half, which is when you die, that your spirit leaves you in that last breath. Mm. Isn't there a movie? How much does it weigh? It's like it's um, was Will Smith in it? Twenty eight like, grams or yeah, something. right. Okay, so there, that's your spirit allegedly. Um, and so you start with this word, and then eventually it it moves into having the sense of what we would now call a ghost, which is the manifestation 
of that spirit or soul that is ex- external. It is out of you. So the body is gone, but this essence of yourself is still manifested mm-hmm. visually or floating around. And essence is actually kind of key because what is the process of distillation? Um, and actually, so you can't see, but we're going to act out a still. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say even the breathing kind of probably looks like what a still looks like when it's distilling. You're distilling it's an, uh, an agricultural well, we, element to its essential self. But we yeah. but we should tell people, it, it would be helpful if you like look and see what a still is. But a still... Um, when you when you distill something, you start with like if you're going to make liquor, you you start with either a kind of wine or a kind of beer, mm-hmm. a fermented product, and it's in this vessel that is heated, and then the water evaporates because water boils and what, it goes. You're, you're boiling. The- you're boiling. You're you're creating a gas of both the material. And the water that's in there. Mm-hmm. And then what you're doing is as the gas, which has both in it, floats up, vaporizes, mm-hmm. it hits a plate and the plate separates the water from the distillate. Okay. And, it, because and they, one thing matters because one's heavier than the other. Exactly. Right? <clears throat> exactly. And then they will both form back into a liquid at different temperatures. Right. And so that is how you are able to um, separate Mm-hmm. the much more concentrated alcohol yes. from the other stuff. Yes. And there are like complicated terms for all those ethanols and alcohols. Right. Um, which we're not, we're not going to get into. No. Um, and this process begins with alchemists in the Middle East who were not only trying to find gold, that's the thing we always hear about, or like Harry Potter, Sorcerer's Stone kind mm-hmm. of stuff, but they were also making medical elixirs and they would distill liquids, collect the vapor. And so what they were doing, as they would explain it, was gathering the spirit of the original material. Mm. And so by the 17th century, spirit covers um, refined substances. So it didn't only necessarily refer to um, liquor, but it it could be you know some other kind of alcoholic, um, alcohol base thing. Mm-hmm. And what's really kind of interesting about this is that these oh this overlapping of terms spirit for woo and spirit for glug 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 <laughs> is uh, also works in German. So in the in German the word Geist means spirit, um, and so the Holy Spirit is the Heiliger Geist, and spirit also means alcohol. So uh, Hembera Geist is a raspberry brandy. Mm. So it also works in German. And and the other thing, which is connected with what you were talking about, about like drinking too much and seeing spirits, so this is in the Bible. The good book itself? Yes. Okay. So in Acts 2... Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 13, um, the Holy Spirit appears to the disciples. And just so you know, the Holy Spirit can uh, um, adopt several forms, including a dove, tongues, fire, wind, and water. All of which would be very disturbing to me if any of them appeared. Yeah. Like a bunch of tongues? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I've heard of flaming tongues and definitely the dove. But anyway, so Holy Spirit shows up and, quote, the first Pentecost bystanders mistook the effects of the Holy Spirit on the disciples as intoxication from too much new wine. So in other words, the Holy Spirit has an effect of intoxication, like spirits. Maybe Holy Spirit was them just getting drunk <laughs> well we can't go back and ask them um <laughs> oh uh, so wait well, I got I got one more hinges on this <laughs> I got, great I got one more spirit ghost thing for you okay so the word alcohol we know comes from the Middle East 
Um, but there is dispute about what it originally meant. And one of the possibilities is the Arabic al-kul, which means a demon that eats your spirit, body-eating, sorry, no, a demon that eats your body, so body-eating spirit. And kul serves as the origin for the English word ghoul. All right, so de- we oh still get a demon gosh. from there. This is crazy. Okay, and so according to Mid-Eastern, according to Middle Eastern folklore, a ghoul is an evil demon believed to eat human bodies, and al ghoul refers to a demon or spirit that imp- produces intoxication. In contrast, in English, one of the earliest words for alcohol is aquavite, which means. Water of life. That's right, which is the opposite of a ghoul eating you. Well, it, I mean, unfortunately, they and they did f- found distilling, but the religion of Islam uh, makes imbibing uh, alcohol illegal. Yes, it does. But they made it and they invented it and mm-hmm. they, they did it for medical purposes and they taught it to the rest of the world who then used it to make this stuff that they're like, this stuff is great. We're yes. going to call it water of life because <laughs> there's nothing in our religious book. Our, the ghost comes and makes us feel <laughs> drunk and tells us beautiful things in the shape of a dove. So we love them. Yeah, well, and, and also wine and beer were already totally entrenched in daily life. Mm-hmm. So anything that was alcoholic was not perceived as bad. In fact, um, if you lived in a place where... Uh, your water was, water source was polluted, then alcohol was good because mm-hmm. it wouldn't get you sick. Mm-hmm. So if something's distilled, then maybe it would even get you better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is our little jaunt through etymological etymological what? <laughs> <laughs> That's this is our little jaunt through like how Etymo- through our jaunt through etymology and yes and the. This time of year, and when we think about spirits, and this is definitely the busy season in New Orleans too, so we're busy making lots of spirits and mm-hmm. making raising spirits and raising glasses and yes. getting towards the holidays. So um, uh, very much this is all connected. This is, a, is part of our society, especially here in New Orleans. We're a drinking culture. It's part of our community. It's part of how we come together. And, um, and this is really the beginning. Halloween is like the first holiday that we just survived this long hot summer Mm -hmm. and we're ready to celebrate and be outdoors again yes unlike (laughs) my friends in montreal who are about uh, to batten down the hatches yes uh my friend cat cat if you're listening i'm talking about you um she talked about growing up in montreal you always had to have a costume that would fit over your puffy jacket and so all you could be was like a jack-o'-lantern or a ghost or maybe a witch if there's a robe. But then if you wear the hat, you still might have to cover your face with your balaclava or whatever, which is not very, like, what's a different kind of scary? It's not really witchy scary. <laughs> Once um, we made, like, a ghost outfit, but then put, like, a yellow circle on the middle and carried two strips of bacon, and we were bacon and eggs. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you're right. This is, uh, it is definitely the time of spirits and spirits. And uh, if you come to New Orleans, particularly if you're walking around the French Quarter, you will see condos uh, and apartments for sale that uh, will say haunted or not haunted. <laughs> and I always wonder how they, you know, verify that. Like, there are there are people who ver- go around and verify it. We had, really? we had a professional poltergeist monitor or something come through the hotel is that what's on their card poltergeist monitor I don't know. <laughs> okay so um i want to keep i want to keep this train rolling mm-hmm. uh in the drinks category yes and there less, are lots uh, of spooky cocktails and if you google spooky cocktails you get a lot of like candy corn jello shots and terrible stuff like that but that's not spooky that's that's terrifying (laughs) that is absolutely terrifying and disgusting and gory and we are not about gore in this podcast we are about um class that's right and a thriller Mm -hmm. and uh and something clever yes yeah so um so there are some great actual cocktails a lot of the the spookiness and again this is a big thing in new orleans and kind of goes with our um with our history here is uh absinthe 
absinthe was considered something that was uh, a hallucinogenic. Mm-hmm. It was something artists used, and it was something kind of dangerous. I mean, it was outlawed. For... Well, because it, it was dangerous for um, for a while mm-hmm. um, when it was in, improperly made. Improperly made, correct. And it was in, outlawed, so it was considered like kind of ooh spooky let's let's bring some mm-hmm. from eastern europeans right. come Greasy. back when i went on vacation in transylvania and i brought back some absinthe to drink i don't think dracula would drink absinthe no what does he drink he drinks red wine wait right he drinks red wine he likes a good pinot noir <laughs> i don't think so no no, no he mean... likes like alsatian wine and stuff Something no, I would think something very juicy, right? Something jammy, a jammy, What's a fruit, fruity jammy. <laughs> That's why he loves a good organ, Pinot Noir. I'm telling you, Dracula. Okay, okay Dracula, if you're listening, <laughs> add drink and learn. All right, wait. move it along, Abigail. Okay, okay. Wait, what does Frankenstein drink? Okay, what? Any any? Wait, is this a joke? Do you know? Okay. <laughs> All right, so here's the things you can respond to this podcast. I, I also just want to tell you we have not been drinking yet. Um, we haven't. We normally record the uh, Abigail making the drinks ahead of time, and then we drink them while we're talking to you. Sober, sober, we are. Um, okay. But yeah, we. I would love to know what Frankenstein drinks. The Wolfman. The Wolfman. I I actually had a drink on the menu um, last year around this time of year called the Wolfman Tonic. We talked. We took talked about it right because it had um uh, um armagnac in it yes right yeah that's a goodie that's what you need to make for me Ooh, oh, that's my that. halloween drink that's a good one the yeah. wolfman's tonic yes so that i've created some cocktails but there are classic cocktails in the canon as well that are perfect for um halloween and i think one of the ones i use this actually has a dual purpose dual holiday purpose but there's a whole category of drinks called corpse revivers this was a category of cocktail that was meant to revive one's corpse, perhaps after a night of um, hardcore corpse drinking. Is, corpse is a metaphor. Corpse is a metaphor. Because we are not Frankenstein. No, we are not. And actually, there's going to be somebody out there who's going to tell us that Frankenstein was not the name of the monster. The monster is never named. <laughs> it's Dr. <true>. Frankenstein. <laughs> so, of course, what we meant was, what is Dr. Frankenstein drinking? Right. <laughs> okay, but anyway... So, so the Corpse Survivor cocktail uh, had, um, there was one, two, three, four, five, six, I don't know how many variations they were, and they were all quite different. The two that seemed to have held the test of time is the Corpse Survivor number one, which was an equal parts cocktail of uh, apple brandy and um, cognac and uh, sweet vermouth. Mm. So it was kind of like a Manhattan variation. Yeah, that sounds very nice. But it's the Corpse Survivor number two that has really been the most popular and seems to have had the most traction. And when people order a Corpse Survivor, I'm assuming they mean number two. It's another equal parts cocktail of lemon and Cointreau, orange liqueur, Mm -hmm. um, and gin, and Lillet. And uh, the garnish is a mist of absinthe in the glass. So it seems dash of absinthe. It seems to me that if I had to revive a corpse with drinking, that I would want to use some. I would want to make something that is the equivalent of the lightning bolt charge mm-hmm. that is used in the movie Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and that's like Rah! right, yeah. And but this drink. Doesn't it doesn't sound like it would do that. It would be very... It's just... actually refreshing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when you think of a Corpse Survivor being something imbibed in the morning, this is actually a really nice morning cocktail. And people who drink Cosmos, if they're looking for something a little different, I actually lead them to the Corpse Survivor because it has all those kind of... It's got the orange notes from mm-hmm. the orange liqueur. It's got lemony citrus. Uh, and it's got um, this beautiful gin combination with the lillet to add this lovely kind of botanical flavor yes and then the absinthe which is really nice and i think it's the absinthe that make people go ooh, so absinthe is legal um if you are are ordering it in the united states 
You are drinking real absinthe. I hear people on my tour all the time say, oh, but it's not the real stuff. You can't get, you won't get the real stuff in Europe. That's not true. It's been legal since 2006? No, uh, 2008, because they just had the 10-year anniversary. A man named Ted Bro, who I think we've talked about before, mm-hmm. um, who is a New Orleanian. Yes, he um, is. Uh, who worked to get this law changed and to show that if absinthe is made properly, it will not make you hallucinate and now if you drink a whole bottle you know no promises super high proof you shouldn't do that you might Um, have alcohol poisoning and that's why you're hallucinating right Uh, but if you are ordering an absinthe so absinthe must contain wormwood legally if Mm -hmm. they if it says absinthe on the bottle so you are having the real stuff just in case there's anybody around you that's like this isn't real you have to go to the czech republic no you don't no you don't nope so could you batch the Corpse Reviver number two? Absolutely. You'd make a delicious batch. Keep it refrigerated and, you know, you just add, instead of like misting your glass with absinthe like we would do at the bar with an atomizer, you could just put a couple dashes mm-hmm. in in your batch and it's lovely. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great would cocktail. You, could you serve it on the rocks? I'm just yes, thinking to, you keep, could. to keep people from getting completely hammered, um, even though the Lillet is low proof. Are you thinking about a- something for people to put in their cups when they walk their children around the uh, neighborhood to get candy? <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, I think it's a great cocktail for that. Uh, yeah, well, I was going to... Or if you had people over. So if you're having a party. Oh, yeah. The next thing I was going to ask you was, this is a time when people have have parties, have people over, mm-hmm. um, maybe during the trick-or-treating. And so, to me, actually, the Corpse Survivor number two does sound... Um, matitudinal of the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there anything that could be a little darker or for that evening um, for a Halloween party? Oh, yes. Well, good... the next one, of course, is the obituary cocktail. Mm-hmm. The obituary cocktail is basically a gin martini, but you sub out half of the um, dry vermouth and sub-absinthe. So Mm. it's a way more absinthe-forward gin martini with a twist, orange bitters, you know, like a classic gin martini, but but a very strong absinthe flavor. And I think the name of this cocktail probably gets its name because of the absinthe in it and because you're not just using a couple drops. You're using like a quarter to a half ounce. Of absinthe. So it, this is a pretty absinthe-forward cocktail. So you have to like that black licorice flavor. Right. But, you know, that's that's a that's a very popular flavor this time of year, too. The you think flavor, of, like, licorice and... The flavor of death. Black. <laughs> Blackness. Uh, well, and there's another death. That, so Death in the Afternoon also has death absinthe. In, yep. Death in the Afternoon is absinthe and champagne. Yeah. So... A little flow. So that's a way I actually find for people who... Um, are uncertain about that licorice flavor that a death in the afternoon is is a nice way to have because it, it tends to be not overpowering. No. Um, no, it works really nice with the bubbles. That so, was a Hemingway drink. Mm-hmm. Or, well, I th- do you think he named it or you think he just liked it? Oh, I think he just liked it. Okay, somebody else named it. Yeah. Uncredited. Oh, who knows? Um. So, okay, so there's our theme. Death, death, death. Death, death. Well, and death, here's... Death, death, death. Get up. Get up. Get up. <laughs> drink, drink, drink yourself to death, but then get up in the morning so you can drink some more. I have an, an actual, um, a funny story about the obituary cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my brother was getting married, and him and his husband, um, or, you know, boyfriend at the time, soon-to-be husband, um... Did I said I'd, I'd like to gift you be your bartender at your wedding, and they were having a wonderful like gypsy nineteen twenties themed wedding. So we were doing a lot of kind of speakeasy type cocktails, and one of the cocktails we tried out was the obituary cocktail. And they said, "Oh, we love this cocktail, but isn't it a little bit morbid to have an obituary cocktail served at the wedding?" And I said, "Oh." Let's make it a secret cocktail. Like, tell your friends that if they want to order this cocktail, they have to say a code word to the bartender or a code, like, phrase. And um, and so what we came up with is that when somebody wanted to order the obituary cocktail, they came up to the bartender and they said, I'm in terrible mourning. 
And the bartender would reach across and say, I'm sorry for your loss, and then make them an obituary cocktail. Oh. So it was this like call and response. So, you know, it was, uh, and then I had a a guest uh, at my bar, Glenn, if you're listening, I'm talking about my dear friend, Glenn, came into the bar, heard the story, loved it. And he regularly comes to the city, comes to visit me. And when he's in the mood, he'll just look at me across the bar and go say, I'm in terrible mourning. And I'll say, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I'll make him an obituary. Well, Lee, husband, if you are listening, and you are because you always listen, uh, when I die, if you're still alive, you already know that you're carrying my ashes in the St. Anne Parade and dumping them in the Mississippi River. It's part of a carnival. It's a carnival thing. But I would also like there to be some kind of Ash Wednesday wake thing uh, where everybody has to say that they're in terrible mourning. Presumably they would be. I hope people, I hope people are sorry when I die. And then they get obituary cocktails. Oh, on Ash Wednesday? You're going to make people drink on Ash Wednesday? Make them. And if not, I will haunt them. <laughs> you guys beware. Beware. Wait, so uh, one, I do this, this theme of death, death and drinking. There is another way that death and drinking intersect. Well, frankly, there's a lot. Like, we could talk about wakes. And we could talk I about all that. I was just going to say Finnegan's Wake. But, I mean. but with death, drinking, and this holiday, mm-hmm. and that is Dia de los Muertos. Mm-hmm. So I'm very lucky. I'm going to be in Mexico all for that holiday. And um, I've been doing a lot of reading about it and... Um, with the assistance of the movie Coco, which if you haven't seen it, you should, but you will cry, be prepared to cry, because um, it's beautiful. Um, but it is not a public holiday. It's not how, like, Halloween is about costuming and is about uh, occupying public space, or really children um, transgressing into public space and doing mm-hmm. things that they aren't normally supposed to do. Um, that is one kind of celebration and experience. But Dia de los Muertos is about family, and the altar that you make is normally in your home, and you are honoring your ancestors. Mm. And, of course, there's all these foods that have um, spiritual, social, cultural significance, but you are also meant to include uh, whatever the beloved liked to drink Mm -hmm. and this is a this is a very very ancient tradition like the maya celebrated Mm -hmm. it and when they would create their altars they would use pulque which is made from the sap of the agave or the maguey maguey is just another word for agave is it yeah the, the plant it's like a species i think Oh, okay. Um, But at the time, pulque was only saved for ceremonial occasions. So it wasn't just like for drinking whenever. Mm -hmm. Um, But now you can use, you can put anything that would have been appreciated by your loved one. And I love this idea. Mm -hmm. Um, So continuing with the theme of Elizabeth's (laughs) funeral, um, then wherever, since I'll be dumped to the Mississippi River, I guess I I don't plan on having a grave. Uh, but somewhere, I'll think about it. Um, I would, I sure would appreciate if people would gather and um, pour a little offering out to me of brown liquor, brown, brown liquor, liquor. something be- brown, bitter, and stirred. <laughs> but not a whole lot. Like, don't waste the whole. No, 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 no. That would be very disrespectful <laughs> to you. And we understand that, Elizabeth. Let us see. We understand. Couple of you, would, you would prefer that we would have all of that inside us. <laughs> Right, so your the spirit the and the spirit, spirit your and, spirit will be inside us with the spirit that we will be imbibing. So trust me. You know Steve Yamada. Uh, he's a bartender here in town. He joked that when he dies, I feel like we said this before in another podcast uh, that he wants to be cremated with his ashes behind the bar, and that there can be a drink. Um, named after him, and I don't know what's in it, but it involves a pinch of Steve's no. ashes on, on no. top. No. So you can only order no. this drink until they're gone, no. and then there's no more Steve no. to drink. No. No. Okay, ignoring the ignoring <laughs> you guys are so weird. Ignoring the possible um, in, health inspector uh, ramifications. 
of uh, having human remains <laughs> in, a uh, in a cocktail oh, no. uh, as a concept. I think it's really cool because then you're you're sort of dispersed everywhere. Oh, my gosh. All your friends can ingest you. That's a very primitive thing, you know, like you have to eat the heart of your enemy yes. and then you like take in their spirit. Yes. We were just discussing why all the bartenders in New Orleans got sick with the flu in um, August. And it's because we all passed the same $20 bill around to each other. (laughs) So we already are kind of communal here. Um, uh, No, it is important. Like, it's every time I drink Irish whiskey, I think of my Irish grand, Mm -hmm. Bridget. Every time I have a Manhattan, I think of my grandpa. And when he passed and his sons lined up in front of me because I was the only one who knew how to make a proper Manhattan. Yes. I got all my uncles drunk that day. Yeah. Because they're not all big drinkers, but they drank Manhattans because they knew it would remind them of their father. When my mother passes away, there's going to be so much Jack Daniels passing my lips. So So, so, much, so, so many much. handles of yes. Jack Daniels, as we've talked about in the past, the <laughs> handles of Jack Van Daniels of but, Elizabeth's mother. But not, you know, but like within reason, consumed within reason. Yeah. I, she would be very upset if I didn't uh, explicitly say that. Isn't there stories of, of people getting um, murdered and stuffed into barrels of rum and whiskey? Uh, well, I actually know there was a general... Uh, or no, an admiral, an admiral who was sent back, back in, in a, a bottle, a bar- barrel of rum, yeah, um, because so that's how they to preserve they, his body, right, for the funeral. That was his ink, British English. Yeah, I would yeah. not have wanted to drink that rum either. No, I don't mm-hmm. think it was for. Maybe it was used for ceremonial pouring on mm-hmm. the ground or something. Um, okay, so we're, we're going to get the taste of Steve Yamada's ashes and a pickled uh, rum out of our mouths. And let's go down to the yeah, bar and make go- a really good cocktail. And um, and then we'll, we'll, yes, come on, let's go make a corpse survivor. Yes, okay. All right, here we are at the bar at Compare Le Pen, and we're going to make for you a corpse survivor number two. So we need a uh, three-quarter ounce of fresh-squeezed lemon juice, three-quarter ounce of gin, three-quarter ounce of orange liqueur. We're going to be using Clamont Creole Shrub. That's good for our New Orleans theme. And then the original recipe, this is one of those recipes, like the Vesper, where the original recipe called for Lalee Kina, and the people at Lalee will say that their stuff is the same as Lalee Kina, but other people say otherwise. Lalee Kina was supposedly a, a, a formula for Lalee that had a little bit more quinine in it, therefore it was not as sweet. And if you are taste these two products side by side, and by two products I mean Lalee and Coqui Americano, you will find that Coqui Americano is a little bit more bitter, not as sweet. And Koki is spelled C-O-C-C-H-I. So if you're looking for it in a liquor store, it is not spelled C-O-K-I or C-O-K-E-I or C-O-K-E-Y. Do not think of Coca-Cola. It is an Italian product. That's right. And it, uh, this started being imported into the country, I want to say, probably about 10 years ago. And a lot of bartenders kind of glommed on to this as... The, they sold it as the original Lilaikina, and that may be apocryphal, but uh, or closer to the original recipe. But us nerdy bartenders, we clung on to that, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, I definitely use Coke. It definitely works better. Yeah, it works better in my Vesper. But you know, everything I just said is true. It does make I think my Vespers taste better, and I like it better in um, my uh, Corpse Survivors too. Sorry, Lilay. Maybe it's just because I'm more Italian than I am French. Like, genetically, maybe my palate is just more predisposed to it. Okay, now we got those four ingredients in equal parts in our glass, so this is one of the easiest drinks to make. And just shake it up. Our chilled glass, we're going to mist a little absinthe in. I have a little atomizer. You could buy them on Amazon. A little spray. Light spritz. 
and we're gonna pour this strain, double strain it. Get all the ice chips out so it's a nice velvety smooth cocktail. Some people put a cherry garnish in there. I don't know, I think they're confusing it with the last word. I think for this drink, the garnish is in the glass, and that's the gentle mist of absinthe on the end. So here is your corpse reviver number two. May it revive your corpse, milady. Thank you, Abigail. It's alive! <laughs> it just gives you that little jolt of, uh, 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 he's got that little jolt of vitamin C, a little jolt of absinthe, a little jolt of gin, a little jolt of, of orange. It is like, a, it's a perfect morning cocktail. Good morning. Okay, so this is so much better. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's so refreshing and clean, this drink. Mm-hmm. I really like, like, how fresh it is. And, like, I'm serious. Like, this is, this, people think it's, like, a big deal classic cocktail that's kind of um, tough um, to like because of the absinthe, but honestly, people who drink Cosmos, this is your next step. Trust yes. me on this. Yes. You will love this drink. It's delicious. And, um, and you know, I, this is one of those drinks where it, it will vary slightly depending on different products that you use. If mm-hmm. you use Lay or if you use Koki Americano, if you use like a Creole Shrub or if you use Cointreau, um, and you know, even the type of gin you use, it's going to make a big difference in this drink. So feel free to play. Mm-hmm. How much absinthe is in it? It's just a misting, like a couple dashes. Right. So don't be afraid of the uh, absinthe. No. Yeah. Don't be afraid of the absinthe. A mist of anything is it's a gesture. It's, it's a, a it, hint. It's, it's more like for aromatics than it is mm-hmm. for actual taste. Right. Yeah. It, it actually is a good way to ease your way into absinthe-ness. Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you, I, I, I am not a huge fan of... The black licorice flavor. Yeah. I don't care for absinthe on its own, but yeah. I find that it can be very interesting in cocktails. Yes. And, and it really transforms the, the drink. I made a frozen absinthe painkiller once. That was absolutely delicious. You got to tell people what a painkiller is. A painkiller is like a pina colada, but it has orange and uh, nutmeg in it. Mm. So imagine like also adding absinthe to that. Oh, Sounds so weird, but it's great. Oh, so I'm envisioning, we haven't done an episode on punch. We will, because nutmeg is a very important part very, of, very important. Of, of true punch from the 18th century, not mm-hmm. punch that your grandmother served uh, at a wedding when all the bridesmaids had dresses that were dyed to match their shoes, or shoes dyed to match their dresses, mm-hmm. like the sherbet punch. That's a whole different thing. That's a different thing. But um, although there was sherbet in it, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, right, right, a different sherbet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, they they were often garnished with these um, gratings of nutmeg on mm-hmm. top. Speaking of absinthe and enjoying absinthe, this kind of leads to our tip of the day. Mm. I wanted to talk a little bit about absinthe preparation. Okay. A lot of people come in and ask for a traditional absinthe preparation, and I, I think I know what they mean. I think they mean the the sugar cube on fire, and you know the the spoon and the thing, and the people don't under. And then they, you know, they always order it, and then they go, oh, interesting, and then they don't finish it, and it makes me sad to waste that liquor. As sad as, as the ghost of Elizabeth. When people would pour too much of their brown bitter spirit out on the ground in memory, in her memory. So let me give you some advice about ordering and drinking absinthe. Absinthe is extremely strong, extremely strong in proof, also extremely strong in flavor. Um, The proper way to drink it is dilution of about 10 to 1. I mean, really adding lots of water to it. So you're really kind of watering it down, but not just watering it down um, you're opening up different layers of flavor. You're getting more softer notes from all the other botanicals that are in there and the bitterness from the wormwood. It's, it actually, the more water you add, the more flavor comes out of it. And I think it, people make the mistake of, of drinking it too strong. Like it's meant to be served with lots of water. And the sugar is should not be necessary either. Um, the sugar is something that people put in to kind of cover the bitterness of it. But if you're adding enough water, that bitterness goes away. 
Um, and you don't want to make it overly sweet because that t- sweetness will mask the more subtle flavors of the absinthe. So take my advice and order just a small pour and add lots and lots of water to it. Ice cold water. It just makes it so cool and refreshing. You know, one of my favorite things to drink was um, Ricard, which is a type of pastis that's very similar to um, absinthe. And little old men drink... Uh, and other people might know that that name is per- Pernod. Pernod. So Pernod Ricard is the, like, complete name? Or is the Pernod's company. The I think it's two families right. kind of merged together. But Ricard was so, a type of pastis that Pernod Ricard now makes. Okay, okay. But it was what they made, like, before. And it was what, like, all the old... All the old men in the south of France playing patonque and boules, you know, like basically French bocce. It's what they drink in the summertime. It's very refreshing. It's very light. It turns like it's it's green liquid that turns milky white when you add lots of water to it, just like absinthe. And I think absinthe should be treated that way too. It's really, really delicious that way. So don't, you know, if they have an absinthe fountain, feel free to use that to fill your glass. Um... But don't feel like you need to do the whole sugar. I think that the the sugar and the fire is kind of like training wheels for absinthe. The same way that what we call like when you need salt and lime to do a shot of tequila. We call that training wheels. Because if you're you're drinking good tequila, you don't need salt and lime. Because those flavors are already in the tequila and you should taste them. If you are, um, if you're drinking good absinthe. You don't need the sugar to cover the flavor to mask the bad flavor because you're drinking good absinthe. And I think that that's a larger takeaway that we would encourage you whenever possible to drink a little well rather than, I mean, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes you just drink a lot (laughs) and maybe it's not always the highest quality. And that's a, that's one kind of drinking, which we do not wag our fingers at. But it is a good thing when possible to taste really good, uh, good liquor or good wine, which doesn't always have to be the most expensive, but you really can. I I think that there are people out there who've, you know, who say that they've had a bad experience. We've talked about this, a bad experience with gin or a bad experience with rum. And it is often because it was... Not very high quality. Or mixed mixed with bad bad mixers. mm, We're both shaking our heads. Yeah, no, no, Um, no, no. So you can take take the step to really experience what the best version, um, or or maybe not best, but a quality version. Yeah. And it's it's really illuminating. Take care of your spirit and drink better spirits. Yes, that's a... uh, I mean, we could end on this, <laughs> except I was also going drink to say... Drink better, drink less. Um, uh, I was also going to say, kind of in honor of the origins, really even the origins of Halloween mm. and Dia de los Muertos is... Honor your ancestors. Yes, that it is a time that you can have have a drink and think about a person that either would have... You used to enjoy it, that may perhaps someone that you enjoyed it with, or maybe it's just that person that you wish that you could enjoy it with, even if that person never was much of a drinker. Mm-hmm. And that amidst all the costume and glitter and craziness and, you know, ridiculous sexy nurse costumes and like all, all of the, and, and candy corn, so much candy corn. Oh my God. Um, and, and maybe not very good candy corn or punches. Or a bag of pennies. Right. Bag of pennies. <laughs> Didn't you ever get a bag of pennies from somebody? No. That was a trick-or-treat we used to get oh, sometimes. That was well, a terrible house. Well, I guess you could go buy candy. Who wants a bag of pennies? Okay, well, anyway, don't get, don't give out bag of, bags of pennies, because that won't buy you anything these days. But anyway, amid, amidst all of this, um, that y- y- think about, use the spirit to connect your spirit mm-hmm. with that spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, raise your spiritual expectations for sure. Yeah. This is something I can believe in. And lift your spirits. <laughs> lift your spirits. We can go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, but that that's good. 
We covered it all. I think we covered it all. We just want to we want to make sure we give thanks to the old number 77 hotel for providing us a beautiful space to record our podcast in. Make sure you look into staying here if you're in town. Thanks to the Nitty Grits Network, which is part of the National Food and Beverage Network, um, for hosting us and doing all the good work of food and drink preservation, conservation, and storytelling. Thanks to all of you listeners. If you have any questions or comments, or, you know, if you want to put heaps of praise on us, um, please feel free to email us at cheers at drink and learn. And if you want to at us or tag us, um, I am drink and learn across all the ways that you can find me Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Drink and learn. Oh, you have to spell it out drink and learn uh, because Instagram doesn't like uh, ampersands. And I am Abigail Gullo, G-U-L-L-O, on Instagram and at NYC Baby on Twitter. And we want to thank all of the people who have been letting us know how much they've been enjoying the podcast, um, that they've tried drinks, they've made drinks that they've never made before. We had somebody who made their first old-fashioned and, you know, it came out okay, but said that they needed to practice more. We believe that practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so so it really brings a smile to our face when we hear how much you're enjoying it. So, And I've really been enjoying the guests coming into the bar after having listened to us as well. Uh, perhaps uh, driving from long distances and listening to our podcasts. And then they get rewarded with a drink in person from me. And I love it. Yes. Uh, so keep listening, keep talking about us, let us know what you think, and uh, tune in soon. Cheers, y'all. Cheers. <laughs>